Freeman is a former All-American FCS punter out of Western Carolina University, currently signed with the New York Jets. Despite opting for a school he loved and more playing time at a, quote, smaller FCS school, Ian's story proves that you don't always need the big brand name of a notable college program to get your foot in the door for the NFL. An absolute student of punting, Ian offers wildly unique takes on the zen of punting, how to handle pressure, and discusses what he believes most young punters should focus more on today. P.S. If you enjoyed what you heard today, better yet, if you hated it, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes telling us how. P.P.S. Special shout out to Chris Easton who hooked Ian Berryman up with his current Nike Phantom Vision cleats to punt in. Be sure to DM at that soccer guy Chris for all your footwear needs. Enjoy. All right, cool, man. So first question, what is your superhero secret origin story? How did you wind up on the Jets? So it's a bit of a long story. Um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I mean, I grew up playing soccer. Um, I've played soccer since I was three um, growing up. And, you know, I, play, I was a goalkeeper. And so, I mean, I did a lot of different, you know, punting stuff with that. Um, and I would always kind of realize that I was playing soccer ball a really long way. Um, and I actually scored a goal off of a punt as a goalkeeper um, back in when I was like 12, I think. Um, and then I decided I wanted to try football out. Um, until got, got into it by telling my mom that I was just going to be the kicker. Um, good move. And so, yeah. And so I got into that first day of practice. Um, they're putting me into, you know, drills and stuff and I end up a quarterback. So I end up doing that for probably from seventh grade to about 11th grade um transferred high schools and then they already had a quarterback that was there so I decided to play receiver and punt um and I had done some punting before um all the way up from seventh grade all the way through but I was never really too serious about it um until my senior year of high school um they were looking for a punter um at my high school fellowship Christian and so I said oh I'll just you know I'll try out, see what happens. Ended up winning that job. Um, it was between me and one other guy. And then won that job. And then went to a a Brandon Cornblue camp. Um, ended up doing really well there. Uh, that was in September of my senior year. So it was like right after I started like punting and like really like taking it serious. Um, went to that camp, got ranked fourth in the nation. Um, and then I started working with Dawson Zimmerman, who was a punter at Clemson, and really helped me refine my craft. I ended up getting a preferred walk-on to South Florida, which fell through. Um, and then the special teams coordinator at South Florida made a call to Mark Spear, who's the head coach at Western Carolina University, um, and got me a walk-on spot with, with Western. Um, and then I got... Going into college, I knew I wasn't ready for my first year, but they, they brought in another guy in my class and had him on money. Um, he started the true freshman year while I was getting redshirted um, the same year. Um, and then that spring, it's kind of an open competition. Um, I do really well in spring, push it through the summer, do really well during the summer, kill it during fall camp, and then win the job the day before we play. Um, the, the opener of my redshirt freshman year um, 
so kind of went through college, you know, had, I think I averaged 43.7 my freshman year, my retro freshman year, um, 44.9 my retro sophomore year, which set the school record. And then um, 44.4 my junior year, and that was a 12 game season. I ended up going out to Hawaii, played Hawaii. And that was a really cool experience. We played North Carolina at the end of the year. And then my senior year, and it ended up actually spraining my MCL two weeks before the season started, missed the first game. And then we had a lot of short fields, so I had a lower average that year. Um, but get through the year, go through the whole pro day process, end up in training camp with the Steelers. Um, was with them from right after the draft until um, I was released in right after the last preseason game. And then, uh, had a, had a workout with the Falcons um, that I think it was, in, it was right before they played Arizona. They had something come up and they flew three of us out to, um, to Arizona to work out on a Friday before a Sunday game. Wow. Um, short notice. Yeah. So they flew us out like three days before. Um, I didn't know I was going to have a workout with them on a Friday until the Thursday before. Um so it worked out with them. They ended up going with uh, Casey Redfern. Um, and so they go with Casey, and then I'm still working out and training and stuff. And then we have a – I get called on a Wednesday by New York in late December. Um, and I think it was like week – it was like right before the week 16 game. Um, and they're like, hey, we want to try – we want to work you out. So they find me up there. Um, and it's me and four other guys. We work out, and I do really, really well. Um, and they they say, well, we want to sign you to a futures contract for the next year. Um, and so now I've just been getting ready ever since since I've signed the deal with them. What did you learn the most from your time with Pittsburgh? Because that was really your first uh, pro experience. So I guess looking back, obviously in the moment, it stinks that you know you didn't make that final cut, but what what is like the what's the one thing you took out of your first preseason with Pittsburgh that you feel has set you up for success later on? Well, really, I mean, I'll say this first: I got nothing but respect for the Steelers organization. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great organization. Really, I mean, much, a bunch of respect for Coach Tomlin, uh, Mr. Colbert, and uh, Mr. Rooney, um, and all of them for giving me an opportunity, and Danny Smith, the special teams coordinator. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, for giving me the opportunities and, you know, kind of getting that first taste of it. Um, and being able to, you know, show my stuff and, you know, at this point, you know, I, I was an FCS guy, I was an FCS true walk on mm-hmm. and I'm getting an opportunity to, you know, punt in front of in, in Heinz field of all places. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of was, it was an amazing experience. And I think the main thing for me was, you know, learning, you know, learning the pro game, um, from everybody, you know, mm-hmm. I think Jordan Barry was a, was a great resource for me and was a great, you know, vet. everybody talks about the, when they're a rookie, they have that veteran experience. And I know, I think your podcast with Hollis, he said that he was there with, um, with John Carney. Right. Yep. And how that was a learning experience. And, you know, Jordan Barry, he was great for me. I could bounce any question off, off of him and he wasn't closed off. And that whole special teams room really allowed me into their circle, which was really nice and kind of getting to run all my thoughts by them and being able mm-hmm. to communicate with them was great. Um, 
and so yeah I mean to answer your question is probably for me it's it's being able to get that first experience and mm-hmm. and kind of realize that this is a it's a business and right. that you have to perform to to stay in that business right do you feel like from a I guess from let's talk more I guess in terms of performance what was the biggest difference between punting at Western Carolina versus punting with the Steelers? Did you find your margin for error was a lot smaller or the things that they looked for were a little bit different? Well, so really with in Pittsburgh, um, they're, they're heavy, they're heavy directional Mm -hmm. and hang time team. Um, They don't want the huge gross punt, like the gross average punt, but they want a ball that's coverable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at Western, really with us directional playing, I directional punted for four years at Western. So it really wasn't anything different. It was just that I had to move my landmarks out wider. Um, right. Because at Western, our directional punting was just outside the hashes. That's all we wanted is outside the hashes. Mm-hmm. Well, anywhere in the NFL now, you want, you want the ball outside the numbers. And right. I get that the numbers are a little bit farther in, but the hashes are also narrower. So you're right. still working on same angles and same – um lines but it's still you know i think this that margin of error is a little bit smaller gotcha let's go back to western carolina so you're an fcs walk-on you found your way onto the steelers what do you think a lot of people get wrong about the college recruiting process because what i hear one of the questions i actually got on instagram when i posted that i was going to be interviewing you was uh, what was your experience like not playing at a quote big time school? Um, so what would be your take on, I guess, recruiting in general and playing at an FCS school versus an FBS school? So, I mean, for me, it, it was one of those things. I remember getting a call from the South Florida coordinator saying that I didn't get into the school. Um, and so I was already planning to go to Western as a normal student. Um, and I just wasn't going to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just going to be, you know, a normal student, go get my degree and then start my career. And, you know, for me, playing time's playing time. If you're going to play. And I, I told myself that, and this is just my own personal, everybody has their own personal goals and they have to kind of figure out what their goals are and what they, you know, want to achieve with their goals. And if they're, if their goal is to just make an FBS team and, you know, I want the experience of college football, but, I mean, I feel like everybody wants to play, sure. but some people like the experience over the playing time and they just want to be involved in the experience. Um, but for me, I just wanted to play. And mm-hmm. with Western, they gave me that ability to play. And I mean, you know, you talk about not being able to go and play the, you know, playing the huge games or playing at big time football, quote unquote. They, I mean, we played my redshirt, fre- my retro freshman year. So my first year of playing, my third game was against Tennessee at Tennessee. Right. It's pun, wow. to, pun to Alvin Kamara, um, who's an all-pro now. And then the second-to-last game of the year was Texas A&M at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are two games there where I played over, played in front of over 100,000 people. Um, so – and then my sophomore year, we played East Carolina and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then my junior year, we played Hawaii and North Carolina. And then my senior year, played North Carolina again. But for me – for me, it was, I still got to feel what it was like to play against the big teams. And I think that some FCS schools 
they they don't get that when mm-hmm. they get to play those big schools, but it's still if you fall into the right scenario, then you're still gonna be able to play those big games and you're still gonna get to play. Because I mean, obviously, I feel like for me and everybody is they want to play. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that was my main um, goal, and I still got the the great experience of playing college football. Right, and I think now at least at least in the the northeastern FCS conferences, they are starting to do a couple more FBS crossover games. Like you might play one or two FBS schools a year, so you play up a division. But you know, it, it, when you're talking to a high school kid, it's very easy to get lost in the glamour and glitz of like ESPN, big time college football. And it just kind of comes down to like, what do you want? Like nobody has a bad time who plays. So do you want to go to a D three or D two school, start 40 games for a top 25 team or be a preferred walk on and sit for four or five years and kick once your senior game at a big time school. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what do you think is in the recruiting process? What do you think is the one thing everybody gets wrong with that today in 2020? I just don't think they do enough. I mean, I wish I knew more when I was a senior in high school, I wish I was reaching out and emailing coaches and, and because I did have, I felt like a, a division one FPS caliber leg. Um, but my form wasn't there obviously. And I knew I needed a red shirt year, but I, I wish I had reached out to more schools. And I just, that was just coming from me not knowing. And I didn't have anybody telling me that, Hey, you need to be emailing 50 schools a day you know, just putting your name out there and being persistent. And I just thought it was going to, you know, oh, whatever happens will happen. And I didn't know, I didn't have the knowledge that I do now of seeing guys who are emailing and constantly pushing or mm-hmm. pushing their film out there. Um, I wish that social media was more of a thing. I mean, it, it sort of was, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Right. Uh, because I was, I graduated in high school in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and Twitter was still kind of on the up, it felt like. Um, so people were still kind of jumping on that, using that, um, and kind of using this marketing myself more. I think guys, some guys think that, oh, I'm just going to get a call one day out of the blue and I'm going to get an offer. Well, I don't think it happens like that. A lot of times those people have to reach out through, through mediums like Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then that gets you in the door. Sure. Um, and I think that go, and I wish I had known about going to more camps. I would rather, um, you know, I've seen now a lot of people are going to more college camps and they're going, instead of going to ranking camps, and I don't really, I don't have no bad thing to say. I have nothing bad to say about um, ranking camps or anything like that. But I just feel like if the coach can see you, mm-hmm. And that's how they're going to offer you. If you get in front of the head coach, the head coach decides who he's going to offer. Yep. And so the big thing is, is getting in front of that head coach. And if you know that you're, you're good enough to play at that level, then you know that you're going to win that camp and you're going to get in front of the head coach and the head coach is going to see you and then he'll feel more comfortable offering. So right. I think that that's the main thing is marketing yourself and, and getting in front of the people that make the decisions. Yeah. And very few college coaches will offer a kid virtually, you know, unless you are God's gift to kicking, punting or snapping or any position, they're going to want to see you come kick live. There's just no substitute for that. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and I would agree. I think, you know, I, I think when you were coming, when you were coming out of high school, uh, certainly when I was in high school, hundred years ago, the NCAA never came out with clear guidelines on what you could use Twitter for, what you couldn't. And I think after kind of your graduating class in high school, a couple of years ago, they, they really kind of clarified that Twitter was basically an open market. You know, anybody can reach out to anybody. Um, looking back at, uh, you said that, you know, you had the talent, but your technique wasn't quite there yet. What do you think, what would you like to see kids do differently when they're first learning how to punt? Cause I think, you know, obviously kicking, there is a background in that with soccer, but there's really no sport that American kids played growing up. I mean, outside of being a soccer goalie that lends itself to catching a ball, dropping it on your foot and punting it. So what would you like to see done differently with kids learning how to punt? Well, I think not make it so complicated at first, I think that a lot of people, they, they say, oh, you know, I can punt this ball a long way. And then they go to their first, their first form based lesson. Mm -hmm. And then guys in, I mean, it's, it's one of those things with, with people that are, that are learning, you don't want to like teach somebody the English language by, by throwing them into the fire and, and basically saying, yeah, here, this is the language. You got to learn it yourself, you Mm -hmm. know? not throwing so much at, at a a player at one time. Um, I think, I think breaking down different, um, different segments. And I always think that the drop's the most important thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was not a flexible person in high school, but I had a, I had a good drop and my leg speed was fast enough um, to be able to make up for it. Um, So for me, it was, you know, just teaching, taking each part of the punt and breaking it down and then being able to put it all together as the guy, as the player matures. Um, Because even now, I mean, I coach people in the Atlanta area and I even, I'm still working through that plan of, of taking each point and not trying to throw everything at somebody at one time. Gotcha. So let's say, let's say you had a kid day one, decent athletic ability. He says, I want to punt what are the two or three things you're going to try to teach him in day one? Teach him the drop. I think I would spend most of the time on the drop. Mm-hmm. And I would also take a look and see how they're stepping. Um, Cause a lot of goalkeepers now um, they have that side winding mm-hmm. punt where they're swinging out more of across their body and the ball's kind of dropped off to the side. So it's not as in front as how I did it when I was growing up. Um, so it's teaching them swing pass. So I would say drop and swing pass are probably the first two things that I would tackle. Okay. And then if they, you tell you give them, they say, Hey, I want you to just stretch this amount of time. Cause you're going to need flexibility to prevent injury and to allow you to pump better. Um, you give them that stuff that they can work on on their own because it's impossible to in an hour to an hour and a half session to teach somebody a drop, teach somebody steps and get them flexible because they got to do they have to do some stuff on the side on their own um and but for me i think the drop and the steps okay swing path are the most important things gotcha yeah i think that drop it seems like you know kicking is already hard enough but your margin for error as a punter is like almost non-existent because you're the holder and the kicker at the same time so if Mm -hmm. i try to sometimes i'll use the analogy with a coach or a kid like 
if imagine trying to kick an extra point, but the holder's moving the ball back and forth while you're trying to kick, like that would, that would just be so unrealistic. And for, for a punter, the more still you can keep that ball, the better you're going to be able to swing and turn it over. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, what is your, what's a favorite failure that you've had, which then later set you up for long-term success? Well, it's funny. I think with me, I look back to my, my true freshman year in college. Um, because I was still, I still wanted to play. Right. And I still wanted to, to help the team and, and do what I could. Um, and I wouldn't call the red shirt, you know, a failure, but I felt like I did well enough to show that I could have played my true freshman year. Right. Um, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you look back and, you know, if I had actually agreed to play those last three or four games, I would have had, you know, I would have kind of burnt that red shirt year to develop mm-hmm. and taken the time to, to be able to use practice to kind of figure out and refine my craft to get me ready for my red shirt freshman year. Because now I, you know, those, the kids now have, they got, they got four games where they can play. If I had those four games, that would have been extremely cool because mm-hmm. I had to, you know, not dress for Alabama play against we were in Alabama we're gonna go to Alabama to play and I had to not dress for that just to be sure I wouldn't burn my red shirt um and so if I if they had the four games I would have been able to do that but you know it's it's one of those things that's you know I think that that I wouldn't call the red shirt year a failure but it's one of those things of kind of teaching myself that you know patience is key and it's helping me out now Mm -hmm. I would say Gotcha. What's your favorite, uh, do you have a favorite like training quote or success quote that you continue to go back to? You know, I'm not really like a a big quote guy. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's just one of those things that I, you know, I'm always, a, and we've known each other for a while and I, you know, I'm more of a a good vibes kind of (laughs) guy. Um, and I think for me just to keep it in perspective and, Mm -hmm. and stay positive, I think is my main thing through it and just be you know try to be me as much as I can right now do you and uh I was talking to a kicker once and he was like you know specialists in the NFL fall into two categories either they are head cases and extremely analytical which can work or they're on the total opposite side of the spectrum where they're totally laid back and nonchalant where do you kind of fall on that spectrum and how do you approach the mental side of punting especially like you know ver- like punting in a camp versus punting in a workout scenario versus punting in practice versus punting in a game I mean there's a lot of ways you can break it down but um, I'm sure you know players like this I know players like this some of the best specialists and most talented kids on the planet self-sabotage before they even take the field what because they're so hypercritical or they have like a bad mental routine. So what is your approach to the mental side of punting under pressure? Well, for me, I got to always kind of try to keep it realistic and realize that it's, you know, it is a game and the stakes are just higher, but you're still just kicking a ball in a hundred yard field. It's not, it's not rocket science. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're going to, you're just going to use your, 
your mental side to help yourself kind of calm, calm down. And if you have positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. you're mostly going to be a positive person. I think with me, when you talk about there's the analytical head case guys, and then there's the nonchalant guys, I'd say for me, I'd be like right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty nonchalant and I don't, I try outside of practice or in games, but once, once I'm in practice or games, I'm pretty, you know, I feel like I'm pretty analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to stay relaxed outside of it so I don't drive myself crazy. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty analytical when I get into a session or if I'm, I'm in practice and I'm pretty much focusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just kind of like right in the middle. I'm kind of now as I've gotten more into it and I'm, it's my second year in, trying to break into the league I think that you know it's I've become a little bit more analytical because I've had to um because I've had to kind of figure out some different things and kind of refine my technique so I can kind of just kind of keep repping the same technique that I want to keep for the next hopefully 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. do you find that you're so one of the things that John Carney and I once talked about was looking at how punting, kicking, or snapping, it's the same form, but you have to be able to do it really in three different scenarios. So let's say for a high school kid, there is the charting scenario at a recruiting camp. Then there's your practice scenario when you have your coach right behind you and you hit like 10 balls in a row. And then there's game day scenario. Is Do you change up your approach or your or your preparation to being successful in those different contexts or at this point, is it just, you treat everything the same? I try to treat everything the same. Um, I mean, I do understand that it is different. A workout's different than practice and practice is different than games. And one thing, I mean, I do work with Dan Orner in Charlotte. He's one of my, I've been working with him for about two and a half years now. It seems like, mm-hmm. yeah, about two and a half, three years now. And, and he's really helped me kind of develop a plan and be and and be more regimented and and be more of a pro I would say um and kind of helping me refine it and refine my craft and kind of holding me to those things so I can um perform well when I need to perform well Mm -hmm. yeah he's a great coach now can you can you kind of take us through what, so let's say you are obviously in this age of social distancing, you know, all the kickers and punters are like, you know, they're happy in one sense because lacrosse is finally off the field in the spring for the first time in forever. Um, how do you break down your, your practice sessions? Cause some guys go into it just saying, well, I'll, I don't know what I'm going to work on, but I just want to see how things feel. And then I'll decide on my warm up set. What are my focus areas going to be? Or do you go into your practice punting sessions with a clear objective or two for what you want to accomplish? So how do you break down your practice sessions when you're on your own? So usually I'll have an objective that I want to, that I want to achieve. I think for me right now, um, it's more of picking out one little thing and Mm -hmm. kind of fixing that, um, and I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's just something that's a little hitch in my technique that I've just got to get worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so picking one or two things, cause you can't, you know, you can't solve everything at one time. Um, and I think a lot of guys when they're younger, when, especially when I was younger, I wanted to get everything right, right away. Um, right. 
And I think that that's kind of a pressure that you don't need to put on yourself. And that now for me, like today, when I go out later today on my own, I'll probably just be working. I got to work drops and I got to work on ball angle. And so I'm going to take those two things. I'm going to work that for an entire session. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, probably I filmed just about everything. I'll look at that and then I'll decide in the next session, okay, I need to work on, I don't know, let's say upper body stability and being more upright and not moving my upper body as much. So taking little pieces of each part of the game, because you don't got to fix everything mm -hmm. at one time. And a lot of the guys that are in college now or in high school, they, they feel like they got to fix everything right now. But, in, but to be real, you don't have to, kick a ball that means anything until august right. so you this is the perfect time to be able to refine your form and get your form to where you want it to be and you don't have to fix it overnight because you don't have spring ball that that the coaches are going to put pressure on you to be consistent in the middle of march and april right, right. but now you've got an, you got an extension of time to kind of fix and change all the little quirks and and kinks to your form that you can be as regimented as you want to be when you get to fall camp. Now, when you're filming yourself punting, do you watch film in the moment, like in between your reps, or is it something where you just kind of, you'll film everything and then afterwards you'll watch the film. So for example, when I uh, did an article with Jason Myers, one of the things he talked about what he liked to do was he'll go into a session with like two gen like kind of like you two kind of small things he's trying to work on he'll film everything but he doesn't watch the film necessarily in the moment because he feels like it'll almost tip him towards being a little too mechanical um mm -hmm. or analytical how do you deal with film in your practice sessions so for me i usually i don't do much filming from behind anymore i used to mm -hmm. um but now it's more of a, a side angle front angle thing for me okay um so i use i just put, put my phone off to the side and i'll film a set and then i'll look at the i'll look at the set and then i'll only be looking at one thing i don't look at the rest of the film like if that's if i what i want to fix is my drop or if what I want to mess around with is my drop, then all I'll look at is my drop. I won't look at my swing. I won't look at body position. I'll look and see if the ball where I want it to be. Right. Right. And then say I'll film that from the side and then I'll go and put my phone in front of me and then I'll film from the front for a set. And then I'll look at the ball angle and then say, you can't really tell swing pass from the side. So if sure. that's what I want to work is swing pass and ball angle on drop then I'll, I'll check that swing pass from the front and I'll check my drop angle and kind of just go through that. And I don't like to, you know, I like to only look at a few things at a time because if you look at the bigger picture, you don't really know what you're looking at. Do you feel like younger high school and college specialists tend to almost try to rewrite their entire swing if their first couple kicks aren't perfect? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. I did. I used to do the same thing. I, you know, it was one of those things where I wouldn't have a good practice and or something like that. And then I would go out and I would hit right after practice and I'd go hit 50 more balls and and try to figure out what I was doing wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And now that I'm a little bit older, I've understood that 
you know, it's better to just take a break, look at the film after, make a few notes, and then just kind of reset for the next next practice. Mm-hmm. And have that plan developed for pre-practice the next day. Gotcha. Um, so for me, it's just one of those things that's it's people understand stuff as they get older. I think that, that kind of applies to anything in life. They try sure. to learn as they get older. Um, and so that's just one of those things that comes with, with getting older and age. I think guys, they get, they're like, Oh my God, I got to fix this right away. And in some cases they might have to, you know, they, mm-hmm. some coaches are very cutthroat and they don't, they don't like a bad practice or right. they, they live on the bad side and not on the good side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that has its, that has its place because, you know, it's good for, to have a, have a coordinator or a coach that seeks perfection. Um, but having some reassurances is nice, but some coaches are different than others. And, you know, sometimes you've got to put that pressure on yourself to fix it. And sometimes it's better just to to say, I've got, I just had a bad day. I just need to reset and I need to, um, just look at it tomorrow, not look at it today. Don't dwell on it and just move on to the next day. Right. Yeah. It's almost like that last rep curse. Like I always see it like a kid, uh, clearly a kid is gassed and like they had a pretty good session and then they just tell me, Oh, I'm just going to hit one more kick. And then it wasn't a perfect kick. And then like a hundred balls later, yeah. like you're hating yourself and like cursing with the front window down on the way home. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely, definitely tougher for younger guys to do that. But I think you are right. Like as you get older, you get more confident in your abilities now. Um, all right, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. What is, so obviously you're a person outside of football. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. sees like NFL jets, cool hang time and all that stuff. But what is one hobby that you're, that you really love to do outside of football that like recharges you? And what do you get from that hobby? So it, I haven't been able to do much of it this year because of everything that's been going on. Um, but for me, it's probably golf. Um, nice. And so I'm a big, I've been playing golf for as long as I've been, as long as I can remember, probably since I was like, probably like fourth or fifth grade, I was playing golf. Um, just do that competitively for a little bit. And then now I just play it casually. Um, but it, it's kind of similar to kicking golf is. Um, I take a lot of things from golf that I, that I can add to my kicking game or punting game and and they're all kind of similar. You can kind of take stuff from punting and move it to golf or golf to punting. And it's kind of interchangeable um, from a mentality standpoint, um, which I like, I just like to see, I like to see progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that with golf, there's always like, you're always either going to miss hit the ball or not, you know? And it, it's one of those things that if you don't have your, your form down, you're going to, it's going to show. Um, and it's one of those things that's got kind of connected to the kicking and punting is that, mm-hmm. you know, that's just my, that's my release. And I find enjoyment of that. Even if I'm playing, playing bad in golf, right. It's yeah. still fun. You're still out, you're away from everything. And, and you get to just drive a cart around or walk depending on what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not driving like a crazy guy. Well, no, now of course not. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I just, I don't even think it's just kickers and punters, although I think that that position lends itself to this more, but you know, athletes in general, 
you have to have something outside of your sport that like makes you a person. You know, mm-hmm. if you put all your self-worth chips in one basket, you're going to be a basket case because if you had a great punt, you, you're a great person. But if you had a bad punt, suddenly you had a, you're, you're a bad person and you had a bad day and it just kind of snowballs. Mm-hmm. So I think it's what I noticed the guys who tend to excel at kicking, punting and snapping, those are the guys who would be totally okay. Like as people without kicking, punting or snapping, mm-hmm. kind of like a bad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that with me, like, I mean, if you even look back like to when I was in high school going into college, I was planning on coming to going to Western Carolina without football. Like I was perfectly content with it mm-hmm. um, without having football there. Um, and that is another thing that I didn't mention earlier, but I think with people, when guys pick schools, don't pick it based off of the, the athletic program, pick it off of where you would actually want to be academically. Or if it has a certain area that you want, if you like the city, say, and you like being in the city, pick a college that's around a city. Or for me at the time, and I still do, I enjoy hiking as well and getting out outside and, and you know, not to be cliche or funny or anything, but social distancing myself from people. Um, you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, it, it was something that I find it really nice to get outside and get into nature. And, you know, I'm, I also am into some photography too. So, Nice. It's finding different things that are good. And I mean, at Western Carolina, it's like right in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So mm-hmm. it's like really, really, really nice up there. It's never too hot. Um, and you can go up to the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and just sit and look at and sit on top of a mountain and just look at the views, right? It's like the perfect thing to do um, yeah. for me. And so I think that, you know, finding that and you're right, finding stuff that keeps you, makes you feel like a normal person, I think would be the best way that I could put it. Yeah. And you could tear ACL on day one of preseason and find out that you hate the school. And that's the worst situation to be in because you're not getting that deposit back on your first semester. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that that's like a golden rule of recruiting. You know, if you don't love the school as itself, you probably shouldn't be looking at it. At the school. Yeah. Um, we got to talk cleats for a little bit. What's your favorite pair of cleats and what are you wearing now? So I wear, I'll start with what I wear now. Um, sure. Obviously shout out to that soccer guy, Chris. Um, <laughs> and I wear the, he, he talked me into wearing the, the Nike Phantom Phantoms. Um, and I've always been a Tiempo guy. I think the Tiempo legend five were the best cleats of all time, best kicking cleats of all time and soccer cleats for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I wore Tiempos for forever. Like I wore them in high school, and then we had to switch. I had to wear Adidas in college because we were in Adidas school, um, and so I was wearing something that was as close to the Tiempo as I could, which was the Adidas Galoro, um, and which is like a really nice mix between what Adidas does and Nike. Um, I wore Tiempos right after I finished college. I switched back to Nike Tiempos. Um, and I wore those and, and I saw these and these phantoms and I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll give these a shot. Um, and I've, I've actually, I really, really enjoyed kicking in these, um, these cleats. And so I think that for me right now, I wear the phantoms, but I've always been a Nike Tiempo guy in the past. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The, the new phantom visions are pretty sweet. They got a, for, uh, for those listening, they have like a little lacing covering on the top, which some punters like, but, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's funny. Like kickers are kickers are cleat heads at heart and you can, yeah. you know, especially like with a guy like Chris, like he could talk cleats for hours. Um, what is, so, you know, obviously you're, you're training right now for camp. You're not sure when it's going to be, but you're still training. Um, do you have a favorite training tool or methodology that you use, which you feel helps you out with recovery? So for me, I have one of the, um, one of those massage guns. Um, okay. and it's just like, I mean, I think we've all seen them. They're the, yeah. I don't even know, they're like the mechanical things that I don't know the best way. I don't know the analytical way to explain it. Um, like a nail gun. Yeah. It's like a massager basically. And so you just, I usually after I punt, I just go over that with my legs once or twice and I'm feeling right. pretty good back in college. And when I, when it's available, um, I, I do ice baths and hot tubs. So I do, um, 10 minutes cold, then 10 minutes hot mm -hmm. and then 10 minutes cold, 10 minutes hot, 10 minutes cold, 10 minutes hot, do three sets of that. Um, and it takes, what it does is it takes the, the blood flow. It replaces the old blood and pumps new blood back in. So when it gets cold, it kind of takes the blood out of your legs. And then when you get back in the warm, it recirculates new blood down into your legs. So it helps with recovery. Um, nice. And so that's kind of what I do for recovery. But for right now, with not having that available, I just use the massage gun and stretch. Gotcha. What's one non-football habit that you've developed over the past couple of years, which has helped you perform better? That's a tough question. Um, so for example, some guys it's like nutrition on some guy, uh, or sleep habits or, you know, planning out your day or something like that. Well, for me, really, it's been, I've just been kind of working out a little bit more. I think okay. that, that I would say that's outside of, I don't know if that's outside of football, but with me, it's, sure. I kind of do that and I've been trying to eat healthier just to kind of, I've been a lot happier since I've started eating healthier. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I have more energy. Um, and really just kind of taking time to, I would say I do, I do some form of meditation too. Um, cool. Just to kind of help myself get out of, you know, this stressful environment and just kind of get away from it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And now when, it, oh, I'm sorry. Like when, so when you say meditation, can you kind of take us through like what, what, that involves because obviously that I mean like different people have different practices with that so what is your meditation practice like yeah well it's not really like a I wouldn't say it's like a religious meditation mm -hmm. I would say it's more of um just breathing techniques mm -hmm. um so I mean they have all these they have different like tutorials on YouTube that you can for breathing mm -hmm. techniques and stuff and so just kind of it relaxes you so for me I've really it's they usually take like 10 minutes and just you basically just try to focus on your breathing for 10 minutes mm -hmm. um and it kind of takes you out of what you're used to if that makes sense and yeah. kind of is a good mental reset and because i i read a book um a while back ago it's called zen golf um okay. i don't know if you've heard of it and it's by dr joseph parent um and he he basically takes meditation and 
kind of that Zen belief um, from Buddhism and Hinduism and trying to reach that and use that as a, as a medium to get through. And he's like, you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be Buddhist or Hindu, but you can use the techniques of meditation to help yourself perform better and relax. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, you see a lot of guys that visualize, right? Sure. And that's a form of meditation, visualizing anything, really. Thinking about it before you do it is a form of, of helping yourself become a better athlete and a better person. I would, yeah, I would argue kind of along the same vein of Zen Golf, that book Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by mm-hmm. uh, Bob Rutella. Yeah. There's a whole chapter in there on that. And I would say my best games in college or high school were the games that I would take like 10 to 15 minutes to just be by myself in an empty classroom or, you know, racquetball court or something and just visualize like the perfect punt, you know, different game situations and stuff like that. And I think there's a lot to that. You know, a lot of high school kids don't like talking about like the fact that they might get nervous in a game or something like that, but your brain can't really tell the difference between, you know, what's going on in real life versus what you're visualizing in your head. Um, do you kind of do that before games or uh, as well? Yeah. So for me, I usually do it the night before a okay. game. Um, usually the night before, because if you're traveling for a game, you usually have a hotel room or whatever that you're staying in or your own room if you're at a home game. Um, and you just kind of – I usually just – put everything down, turn everything off and then take 20 minutes just to kind of go through a full game in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even with punting, so you go think about like, okay, if the ball's here going right, this is what I would, this is what I would do going left. This is what I would do. And I do the same thing with holding as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just so we don't, you know, I don't want to keep that out of my routine because I know that's part of the game and that's part of my job. And so, you've got to hold. Um, and so that's what I do. I do it the night before I just go through a full game in my head. Um, so the next day I don't have to think about, I've done all of my preparation. All I have to do is just enjoy it and think about the game. Gotcha. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to that like breathing techniques. I know Steve Weatherford was a huge fan of that. Um, he actually told us when I was out at uh, John Carney's place that there was an app called heart math, which you could plug a heart rate monitor into for your thumb into the iPhone jack. So on the sideline in games, if his heart rate was getting too high, it would take him back down to his baseline level through like whatever breathing exercises he would need to do. But I think it's a lot more common than uh, a lot of people think as part of the game. Yeah. Um, well, awesome, man. So Last question, or more of a fun question. If you could punt with anybody, if you could punt with anybody, who would you want to punt with and why? Oh, man. Are we going um, NFL guys or anybody? Anybody you could time travel. There are no rules for this question. Oh, I'll, you know, it's funny. That's a, that's a really tough question um, because there's a lot of guys that, you know, I've – you know, I've talked to and, and things like that. It would probably honestly be Brett Kern. Um, okay. The Titans punter. I mean, we played against him in the preseason last year. Um, and 
you know, is one of those guys that he's the best in one of the best in the business. Um, and it's made back-to-back Pro Bowls, and that he's uh, you know one of those guys that that I would like to be or strive to be close mm-hmm. to him. Um, so being able to being able to kick with him in a, in a casual setting mm-hmm. would be would be really cool. Awesome, yeah, he's one of the best, man. Yeah, um, I think I think the Titans would tell you that too because he kept them in a lot of games this year. <laughs> um, all right, so you know, at some point football is going to end for you. Like it ends for everybody. And that's not a bad thing. Cause if, if things didn't end, they wouldn't be special. You know, when you're 90 years old or hundred years old, looking back on your playing career, what would be the one thing you would want your teammates and coaches to take away from their time working with you? What do you want them to remember about you? You know, probably that I was always a, a team guy. Um, mm-hmm you know, always trying to help the team succeed and win. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably the main thing is just being that team guy and being a team player, being there for my teammates and stuff. And I was never the most vocal leader. I was a captain at Western. Um, and I was never the vocal guy. Um, mm-hmm. But I was always in the locker room asking guys how they were doing, what's going on with them outside of football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being that more, just being there for the other guys. Awesome. Cool, man. Uh, Let's see. I'll stop that recording. All right. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill podcast. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it on any social media platform or leave a review on Apple iTunes. It really helps a lot with spreading the word. And thanks for your time.